Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's show, we are discussing Chapter 19 of Order of the Phoenix, The Lion and the Serpent. And we also have a debate tied to it. I think we might be annoying some of our listeners <laughs> if we actually <laughs> believe these stances Micah gave us. Why would you say that? Because you're, you are making you and I say some terrible things. <laughs> and I'm worried. Why? Because we're arguing on the right side of the law? Wow. wow. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that later in today's episode. Mm-hmm. We also have some great feedback and a little bit of news. So let's start with that. I didn't realize this. The Tales of Beetle the Bard has never had an audiobook. But that changes later this month because on March 31st, an all-star, as Eric wrote, cast of Harry Potter cast members are getting together to record this. It makes a lot of sense that they're involving a lot of actors and actresses because the tales of Beetle the Bard, of course, is made up of multiple stories by J.K. Rowling. This was released in what, 2008, I want to say? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, get this. Sally Mortimer, well, nobody knows her. Madam Pince, she's going to intro the book. Noma Dumaswenny, who played Hermione in Cursed Child, she's going to read The Tale of Three Brothers. Ivana Lynch is going to read The Fountain of Fair Fortune. Bonnie Wright is going to read Babbity Rabbity and Her Cackling Stump. Jason Isaacs is going to read The Warlock's Harry Heart. And Work Davis reads The Wizard and the Hopping Pot. And then, of course, the book has those introductions from Dumbledore, which are so great. And Jude Law is going to narrate those. So a big cast of people getting together to record this. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really getting into audiobooks uh, lately, a little bit even more than I I have in the past. And uh, audiobooks that have multiple narrators are really like a cool thing also. It just feels like a special multimedia production of some sort or theatrical you know, kind of a thing. Keeps it fresh, too, I imagine, while you're reading. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it there is like a degree of cleverness as well behind the different people that they've chosen for each of these things. So like, for instance, Noma Numizweni, um, you know, Hermione in the movie reads The Tale of the Three Brothers, Emma Watson does. Oh, um, yeah. And then so to have another Hermione, to have Cursed Child's original cast member Hermione read it in this audiobook is kind of a clever either nod or it just makes sense that as Dumbledore gives that book to Hermione, that she would be reading that chapter. Yeah, that's very clever. I love how they got the librarian to intro the book. <laughs> it's very appropriate. And I, I'm struggling to remember the scene that she was in, that Madame Pence was in. I, 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 I can't. I it was think... the scene where she goes, shh. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like the witch uh, who was at the high table in the Great Hall in a yes. couple of scenes that I always mm. assumed was Professor Sinistra. Oh, I think I did too. Yeah, you just always kind of assume because the librarian wouldn't necessarily get a seat at the high table, right? Like, right. No offense to any librarians. Out no, there. no, but, but you don't sitting... see Filch sitting up there either. Yeah, because I'm right, sure there are no librarians who listen to this show. <laughs> there are. I actually know three librarians who listen there, to this show. That's my point. Yeah. Uh, well, I, isn't there a, a moment in the restricted section, or am I thinking of Sorcerer's Stone? Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, yes, that's kind of what I was referring to. You wrote down Eric Chamber of Secrets, but in this article, it just says Harry Potter film series. So I don't know. Maybe she's not in Chamber of Secrets at all. Yeah. I knew I saw her in the battle for Hogwarts. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the article, maybe they amended the article because I definitely remember it saying Chamber of Her and uh, Sean Biggerstaff, right? Flying by in that one oh, very quick moment. God. Totally. And Winky was there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though she never appeared in uh, Goblet of Fire, they, yeah. So we haven't done this in a while. MuggleCast TBT. We post these on social media about every week. And now that we are approaching our 15th anniversary, we want to include more of these on each episode of MuggleCast. I loved this one that we posted earlier this week. Thanks to our social media manager, Jewel, for posting this. Um, we were in London actually for the release of the Tales of Beetle of the Bard. So appropriate that this clip was posted this week. And... We are discussing if J.K. Rowling could write any other books beyond Harry Potter. Listen to this. Well, anything she does now is going to be, it's going to get huge hype around it. Because how could it not? And imagine (laughs) imagine starting another suspense novel or whatever and starting this whole trilogy all over again. It won't be as fun as Harry Potter, but... Didn't she say, though, that if she published anything else outside of Harry Potter, she was considering using (laughs) a pseudonym? Oh, a what? A pseudonym, like uh, changing her name. Oh, to like uh, was Joanne. Was joking rolling? though? I mean, I mean, I couldn't tell. It'll get leaked as well. We're gonna find out. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I mean, we definitely. <laughs> yeah, that'd but... be really hard to keep it a secret. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of crazy that we spoke <laughs> about that because that's exactly what happened. Yeah, she published under a pseudonym. And it got leaked. <laughs> and and Andrew, you predicted that it would be also in the same genre as Harry Potter. Like suspense mystery. Yeah, yeah. Well, she writes what she knows. Also, it sounded like I didn't know what a pseudonym was. <laughs> <laughs> like Lisa had to give me a definition. <laughs> or maybe I just couldn't hear her. I don't know, but that's a little well, embarrassing. Well, you guys were live, right? So yeah, yeah, it happens. It could be hard to hear each other. I was going to say, wow, my voice has changed so much since then. <laughs> um, no, Laura, that wasn't who's you. Who's that British guy? Oh, <laughs> that was Jamie. And the the woman was Elisa, who was on the show a while ago. Mm. Laura's BFF. Yeah, but but Jamie saying it it would leak and it would be hard to keep under wraps. Like that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very cool. So yeah, we'll include more of those on the show as we approach our fifteenth anniversary. Moving over to Muggle Mail now, we have this voice memo from Jacob. Hi, Muggle Cast. This is Jacob from Virginia. I have really enjoyed the last few episodes of your podcast as we've been going through these chapters of Order of the Phoenix because I had forgotten how much I love these chapters, but also how much of uh, an influence that they made on my own life. Um, You brought up a few weeks ago if anybody had a teacher in high school that they just really didn't enjoy or felt like um, wasn't very qualified for their job. And that is absolutely how my classmates and I felt about our chorus teacher. We loved uh, singing in choir, and we had a very young new teacher uh, who was really ineffective and didn't quite have the skills to do it. Um, And so in that role, I actually um, started an after-school group and would often during class uh, take my classmates to the band room, which was empty at the time, and I got to um, practice teaching for a little bit. And now I am a high school choir director, and I love everything about it. But if I, I felt very much like Harry um, in a role that if we were going to do what we wanted to do, um, we would have to have some initiative from the student side. So thank you for uh, doing what you all do, and keep it up. That's awesome, Jacob. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the original teacher has gotten better 
Uh, I know some teachers, they can hire pretty young, you know, like right out of school. And it's like, it's possible that it, there was some growing pains there. But I wonder if Jacob is now um, teaching at the same school, either alongside the choir director or whether uh, they're fired <laughs> and, and no longer there. <laughs> Let me you know, show you I, how it's done. I'd love kind of, a, yeah, follow up. But it was, it was, it's really lovely to hear this as a, a real world example of yeah. kids taking um, the effort. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now we have this email from Heather. I wanted to send in a little note in regards to your discussion a few episodes ago about the Hogshead. I happened to come across the word Hogshead in the official Scrabble Players Dictionary just by chance <laughs> because it was at the top of a page. It is defined as a large cask. I found this so interesting, and looking a little further into it, Wikipedia defines it as a large cask of liquid, or less often, of a food commodity. More specifically, it refers to a specified volume measured in either imperial or U.S. customary measures, primarily applied to alcoholic beverages, such as wine, ale, or cider. So it seems that the name of the pub was very purposely chosen. I thought you might find this interesting, so wanted to share. That's really cool. I did not realize that was a real word. Yeah. It's kind of breaking my brain a little bit. <laughs> that that <laughs> something that hog- in the wizarding world is real yeah that well that hogshead is a word hogs head if you put a space in it it's the hogshead that's the name of the pub but it's also there's also this weird connection um you know hogshead you store wine in but there's all these hog things hogwarts hogsmead and so did jk rowling start with hogshead that she changed into Hogshead and was like, let's keep with this Hogs theme, going to put it in Hogsmeade next to Hogwarts. That's the name of the school. Because like, it's just so many Hogs, I guess, around. So many Hogs. Yeah. I think this what this means is that we could call the show Hogshead and we couldn't get sued by Warner Brothers because this was a word that existed outside of the Wizarding World. Hogshead we cast. found something. Hogshead cast. Hoggy cast. Hogs cast. <laughs> Love it. Hogs cast was cool. This to me is an example of of J.K. Rowling being very intentional about name origins. I know back in the day we used to have the name origins section on MuggleNet, and it was amazing just diving into all the little details of characters and places and spells. And this is another one of those examples where there's more meaning beneath the surface. Agreed. We have another piece of feedback from Rebecca uh, in Reading, UK. Rebecca says, I was just listening to episode 454, where you discussed chapter 18 of Order of the Phoenix. You mentioned that Dumbledore's comment about finding a room full of chamber pots was probably a deliberate clue to point Harry towards the room of requirement. However, I don't think Dumbledore ever knew about the room of requirement. In Deathly Hallows, when Harry finally realizes where the diadem is hidden, He thinks Tom Riddle, who confided in no one and operated alone, might have been arrogant enough to assume that he, and only he, had penetrated the deepest mysteries of Hogwarts Castle. Of course, Dumbledore and Flitwick, those model pupils, had never set foot in that particular place, but he, Harry, had strayed off the path in his time at school. Here at last was a secret he and Voldemort knew that Dumbledore had never discovered. I thought this was a really important moment for Harry and another illustration of the parallels between him and Riddle. But do you think that Harry was just naive to assume that Dumbledore didn't know about the Room of Requirement? Or is it specifically the room where everything is hidden that Dumbledore didn't know about? And if Dumbledore did know, why didn't he think to check there for Horcruxes? Ooh, so many good questions here. 
Yeah. And to clarify, I think Rebecca is specifically asking about that room that we see in Deathly Hollows, not the room of requirement on a whole, because as we discussed previously, Dumbledore is aware of the room. He says so in Goblet of Fire. He at least accidentally came across it in that book. Mm. Um, to answer Rebecca's question, it sounds like he wasn't aware of that specific version of the room of requirement. Right. Because to her question, why didn't he think to check there for Horcruxes? Right. He travels to a faraway cave, but not the room of requirement. I mean, if he <laughs> had any idea that there was a Horcrux in there, he would have just went there. I mean, he would have preferred going there instead of a cave far away. Mm-hmm. Especially given the fact that Dumbledore feels very strongly that Horcruxes would be tied in some way to the founders and what better place to hide a Horcrux than inside of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Now- does that that quote mean that Dumbledore and Flitwick went to school together? That's a weird thing that J.K. Rowling wrote. It's a weird pairing, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's an odd thing to read from Harry's perspective. I wonder is there some sort of book or scroll that gets passed down from one headmaster to the next that details out the secrets of Hogwarts, or are you kind of on your own as a headmaster to figure it out? Huh. Hmm. It's kind of a good question. Well, you can consult the portraits, and I guess they would be a little helpful. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. You would think there's a book. <laughs> how how to Hogwarts. <laughs> By the founders. <laughs> Let's reach out to J.K. Rowling on Twitter and see if she'll write, or if she'll put this together. No, she won't. If she's not doing the encyclopedia, she's not doing that. Unless she does a founder series. Yeah, interesting perspective. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay, it's time now for chapter by chapter. And this week, we are discussing Order of the Phoenix, chapter 19, The Lion and the Serpent. And as always, we will start with our seven-word summary. Eric, ready when you are. All right. I'm feeling frisky. I'm going to start with the word, (laughs) the. Quidditch. Match. Features. Draco. Falling. Hmm. <laughs> Out. Okay. I was, when I chose features, I was thinking bullying from Slytherin. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned I said falling out because Draco in this chapter falls way out of my favor oh, as yeah. a character. And furthermore, I've been considering maybe going into like some uh, post-canon Harry Draco fanfic. I was like, this seems cool. It's time for me to like visit some of those like many Harry Potter fans who think that would be a realistic relationship. But after reading this chapter, I'm thinking that no Harry Draco romance fic can exist if the author of each said fic allows this chapter to be canon and included because Draco crosses the line in this chapter. Draco is 15 years old, though. Let's also remember that. Yeah. (sighs) And he does redeem himself in Cursed Child, I feel. Wait, when? Well, Harry and Draco have a cordial relationship in the play. It's just the insults, man. It's like you're- I know they're bad, but yeah, uh, I agree with Micah. They are- He is a kid, so you have to give him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm looking forward to our debate. (laughs) And and highly influenced by his father. Yep. And actually, I'll I'll give this real world example, and I don't have the answer to this, so you guys can tell me. 
I was bullied by a kid in elementary school. He choked me at one what? point in elementary school. Yeah, his name was also Andrew. A worse Andrew, obviously. <laughs> but now, you know, I cracked up years later when he sends me a Facebook friend request. I'm like, uh, dude, do you remember when you choked me in school? <laughs> Am I supposed to forget that? So it's like, you know, these people who may have been bullies in their early years, you have to make a choice. Do you forgive these people or not? And do you realize that they are different people now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had a bully when I was in middle school. And, you know, at the time, it was really easy to hate her. Um, mm-hmm. But now as an adult, looking back, like I met her mother. And I realize now I'm like, oh, that's why she was the way that she was, because her mom was a bully, too. <laughs> So I actually, in (laughs) retrospect, it wasn't her fault. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, we can talk about this more. Yeah, sure. No, I I find it interesting. It's definitely appropriate to start the chapter off uh, mentioning bullying kind of Mm -hmm. overtones. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I denied my bully's Facebook friend requests. Did you? (laughs) But but there were peripheral bullies that I have accepted. Don't validate the bully. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so, so, so going off of sort of a successful first Dumbledore's Army meeting in the last chapter, Dumbledore's Army, we actually see there's a little passage of time um, between the chapters, and they've now had three successful Dumbledore's Army meetings. And in fact, the students are getting so good that Neville has now disarmed Hermione. Mm Mm-hmm. That's super impressive, right? Yeah, it's nice to see the progress. It really goes to show as well towards, you know, back to Jacob's voice memo too. When when kids are running the show or when you're taking it upon yourself to learn, you're going to automatically be more engaged in the the material and a little bit more inspired, I think. You know, Dumbledore's army is really, we're finding uh, a complete uh, antidote to what's going on at school. And it's really helping these people learn defense. Yeah. Other shout outs to best improved. Colin Creevy has mastered the impediment jinx and Parvati Patil casts a mean reducto. So, yeah, that's pretty Did cool. Did we discuss but- this on last week's episode? The listener that pointed out that Harry being a teacher here, he's getting in that that teacher fill that he may have wanted post Harry Potter. We speculated that he may have wanted post Harry Potter. And here are some good examples of Harry being able to successfully teach his fellow students. So, yeah, I can see why maybe he didn't feel the urge to go back to Hogwarts to teach because he already did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that would have been a natural kind of thing for him as well, a natural evolution, like he could have really made it work. Yeah, he's he's the best defense against the dark arts professor they've had since Lupin. Yeah, and he returns the following year. <laughs> <laughs> Once the curse is lifted, yeah. But it's also a, an example of the saying that like um, all the best stuff comes out of struggle. Uh, it's, it's, it's an example that, you know, they've created Dumbledore's army because of the way Umbridge was behaving. And similarly, Hermione develops a way for them all to know when the next meeting of the DA is going to be. And this is actually really super cool. Um, They're having to, I guess, move around everybody else's uh, practices, uh, everyone's Quidditch training schedules, uh, because there are three houses represented in Dumbledore's army. Quidditch, of course, being a huge part of this chapter later. But Hermione comes up with this, uh, as we all know, really neat idea to use a fake galleon. And a galleon, which around the edges normally has a serial number on it, instead of being just some arbitrary serial number, 
you will change the galleon. Harry has like the master one. He is the one galleon to rule them all. And he changes the dates. It doesn't say how around the edges, but then everybody else will see those numbers change and it reflects the date and time of their next appointment. This is one of the coolest bits of magic that we see, I think, definitely in this book. But not only that, but it's it's immediately um, praised by somebody else. Terry Boot, who I believe is a Ravenclaw, says like, that's newt level magic. And he's like really super impressed. Well, and weirdly, Hermione is like immediately insecure about it. She thinks that people don't actually want this, but they can't believe that she came up with this at such a young age. And not only that, she's borrowing the idea from Voldemort, which makes it that much better at the end of the day. It's their version of the dark mark. A little bit less permanent, right? A coin versus, you know, (laughs) a a tattoo of sorts. And you also, you feel... J.K. Rowling really wanted us to feel bad for Ron in this chapter. Not only is yeah. he bullied horribly later in the chapter, but he brings up, I think, twice just how poor he is. He's like, oh, I won't confuse this with other galleons because I don't have any other galleons. <laughs> <laughs> what is a galleon? And we're just like, oh, it's, that's really sad. <laughs> oh, and then the, the other moment was Ron getting excited that Hermione brought money to the meeting. It's like, <laughs> Is this for me? Are we betting now? Who can defeat who? It's a little odd because you have Ginny there as well. You have Fred and George there. And they don't seem to be as hung up on the money aspect as Ron is. Is it because he gets bullied by Draco? Not just in this chapter, obviously, but earlier in the series. Like, he's just more insecure. I think... I think it boils down to a lot of Ron's insecurities as, you know, he's the youngest Weasley brother. We know from Deathly Hallows that he has that insecurity about, you know, being a son of a of a mother who wanted a daughter. Um, and I think that he really just questions his place in his family, in Hogwarts, sort of in society as a result of all of those insecurities. And I think that that has a tendency to manifest itself in, in this kind of sort of, I I mean, I guess social insecurity when it comes to money, right? Like he doesn't, he's really struggling to find his identity and find out like what makes Ron Ron. And we see that in this chapter because he's like, Oh, well I'm crap at Quidditch as well. So what do I have? Yeah. And if you go back to the Mirror of Erised in book one, it's really, it's kind of just really clever how, how well J.K. Rowling set up each of the, the trio and what their insecurities would be. But he sees himself being the best. And that's just like who he would be is, oh, I'm Quidditch captain. I'm head boy. This, that, the other thing is like Ron desperately wants acclaim and glory. But I think there's really a deep insecurity there. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you said the trio. Because that made me wonder, have we ever thought about what Hermione would see in the mirror? Oh, you're right. She doesn't actually get a look in it, does she? What would she see? Lots of books. Yeah. (laughs) Herself as minister, maybe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But uh, before we kind of jump into the nastiness of this chapter, I thought it was important to just call out how the chapter opens with Harry, because he's feeling really good about what's going on, obviously, the success of Dumbledore's army. But the quote from the book is that he felt as though he were carrying some kind of talisman inside his chest over the following two weeks. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting contrast to the actual bit of Voldemort's soul he's carrying around inside of him. So pretty 
intentional on the part of J.K. Rowling to throw this out there? Yeah, definitely. And and that's I've felt this before too. When you're openly defying authority, um, or not not even openly, but when you know that you yourself are solving one of your own problems. There's I like how you corrected gl- yourself, Eric, because Andrew and I were going to use that in our argument later. The fact that you just said that <laughs> Harry is in defiance of authority. <laughs> <laughs> no, but whenever you – as teenagers, I think a lot of us have challenged authority in the past. And if you succeed, you can't help but feel like you've triumphed over the great snake or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Which reminds me of Greek mythology, which actually brings up – so Hermione, getting back to the coins real quickly, um, what she uses is called the Protean charm. And this was uh, last week's Quizich answer as well. But I, because I love audiobooks so much, was just reading the Odyssey. And Proteus, uh, for whom I'm assuming the Protean charm is named, was the oldest son of Poseidon who basically he could tell the future – and Odysseus actually captures him to find out what his future is. But in order to get his prophecy, uh, you need to capture him. And when you, once you like grab him, he changes his shape and changes his form like a dozen times into like a shark and a bear and all this stuff um, to basically evade capture and having to tell you your future. So the Protean charm, Proteus could change his shape a lot. And so these coins will change indefinitely. Um, to whatever Harry sets them to. I thought it was a real cool mm. reference to old mythology. That is very cool. Yeah. Good catch. But um, speaking of change, we're changing gears a little bit here to the uh, Quidditch game and the Quidditch match that's coming up. Um, one of the best examples, I think, not only of change and, and skill at magic comes from another DA member, Luna, who has designed a giant lion hat. We all remember this mm. from this book as sticking out. It's one of the top moments, the coolest things I think Luna's ever done. She really shows her support for Harry, Ron, Hermione, the Gryffindors by breaking house minds as well and creating this. Included in the movie, thank goodness. But I don't think Ivana Lynch made this one, right? Right. She made the earrings for the movie, but I don't think she made the hat. That's a little more advanced. Yeah. She probably had some level of input on the hat as <laughs> well just knowing her and her passion for luna and for the series mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time before they start uh mass manufacturing that hat for purchase at <laughs> yeah that's a hot good, topic we, or something google that and see if uh there's a replica anywhere that you can i don't think there is purchase I just remember seeing one. There was a fan who had made one at Lumos. Andrew, do you remember? I do remember that. Yes. We had, there's a picture of us, and it's and it's really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, Imagine bringing that on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Going to a Harry Potter conference? Especially if it roars. <laughs> but yes, this this is the ultimate representation of of house unity and and different houses coming together. I think Luna's the one who really kind of gets things going and and Dumbledore's army definitely helps in all this right um yep. i think it's fair to say that for the most part the other houses would be aligned against Slytherin no matter what I, you know if i feel like if hufflepuff was playing slytherin or ravenclaw was playing slytherin then the other houses would want to see slytherin defeated but just Luna in in this particular chapter it it is really cool to see her with this hat the fact that she says that she wanted to put a snake in its mouth, but she didn't have the time to do so. <laughs> it just adds to it, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. 
it's it's really good support from Luna. And it's useful because in this chapter, the Slytherins have really upped their game of intimidation, of really just antics that should not be tolerated. But under their head of house, under Severus Snape, and actually Harry mentions too, McGonagall is getting, it's like letting them off homework so that they can do more practice. But really, everyone wants to see this fight happen. But the teachers are becoming lax because there's all this taunting. Mm -hmm. So this kind of begs the question, though, is it just bad sportsmanship? Is it bullying? Is it? Just, hey, you have four groups that you are responsible for setting up every single year. You've segmented them. You've made them like this. And it's it's a sporting match. Of course, there's going to be different things said to different people. And, and there's going to be a little bit of antagonizing the other team. Think about it. I'm sure we've all been to a sporting event, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Some more intense than others. We've even Even at school, right? We've probably been to something similar to this. You don't think that the other team, the visiting team, let's say, is is open to being antagonized? Now, there's obviously a line, but isn't it all just in good fun? <laughs> well, no, it's to some extent, like different people, <laughs> I think, isn't it Draco imitating Ron dropping the quaffle every time he sees him? Like, we know that Ron is particularly susceptible. Harry actually has a wonderful retort about what is it uh montague if if montague tries to throw at me like next to me i'd be more worried um like you know harry at least has dealt with this kind of criticism before the the potter stinks badges being the most recent ones that come to mind but you know ron and 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 other members are are less equipped to deal with it Mm -hmm. and we just see it have such a negative effect on ron throughout this chapter and Draco isn't doing this just for good fun. He's doing this because he genuinely hates Ron. Yes, I think a line has been crossed because I think this line in particular from the song, Weasley was born in a bin. He's talking about the Weasley family being poor. Mm-hmm. And and that's vicious. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, by the time we get to the song, which, you know, it really comes to a head. Everything that Draco, I guess, at the forefront has been planning it's less to answer your question, Micah. It's less about poor sportsmanship, and it is active bullying. I think it crosses a threshold pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I think that one-off instances, like for example, Draco taunting Ron in the corridors, pretending to drop a quaffle. I think that's one thing. Um, but when we get into this coordinated effort to throw Ron off in the middle of a match, that's just straight up a a a master level of coordinated bullying. And um, we'll talk about this in Connecting the Threads, but I'm actually not shocked that this happens um, <laughs> based on some of the things that happen in Prisoner of mm-hmm. Azkaban. It was foretold, Lara. Yes, it was. <laughs> by Trelawney or... Or by us. Well, we, we just we just should have checked the corresponding chapter before getting into this chapter, you guys, because <laughs> uh, there's clear reference. <laughs> I, I agree. What bothers me most about this is that the teachers and Madam Hooch are seemingly okay with this. So maybe they do agree with you, Micah. It's all in good fun, but I think it does cross that line. Well, that really raises the question, too. How did Snape downplay this attack on Alicia Spinnett? Because Miles Bletchley, like, she had to go to the hospital wing... 
um, with that. And Snape, like, either accompanied her to the hospital wing or he later told teachers in the staff room that it was an accident or he really just severely downplayed the part that his own house had to do with these attacks. Like it's, it's different. It'd be a verbal attack. Like you can say sticks and stones can break my bones, but when you're actually jinxing each other in the hallways, it's gone way too far. And that's how, you know, you're part of a toxic culture. I I agree. I I think that it, it, the line is crossed by Slytherin in this chapter and the fact that Snape doesn't do anything to try and rectify it makes him culpable. But I also think the rest of the staff, to the point Andrew made, are culpable as well because they have the ability to step in and do something about it. The High Inquisitor has the ability to step in and do something about it, but they refuse to. They let it go on and they let it get to a level. We know Ron is already nervous despite anything else right he's he he's that that's just who he is and and he's going to feel really really nervous about taking on his first quidditch match and on top of that it's against slytherin we know they're making fun of him he's got half the stands chanting things at him i think there's a line that the teachers need to step in and and do something about it they don't here's the question kind of that i have what that i just thought of like hermione even comes up to harry and says don't let them see what's on the badges because, you know, we haven't quite made them out yet. And she knows that Ron's weakness is his fortitude, is his his self-image. Harry knows it. Hermione knows it. How did Slytherin learn it? Like what told Draco Malfoy, for instance, that if he were to get all the Slytherins together and write lyrics to a song and a chant, that it would like that insult Weasley, that it would have such the desired effect that they want. Who told the Slytherins that Ron's I think self-consciousness gets the better of him at Quidditch? I think they just know. They just know Ron is just that type of person. Yeah. This hasn't been a big secret. I mean, sometimes you can just tell by you know, remember, they've been they've uh been in the same school for five years now. Mm-hmm. And you get that sense, and there's been a lot of taunting before by Draco. Yeah, so so it's kind of like blood in the water. And I'm sure word spread about his practicing and how bad he was yeah. during practice. Well, especially because um, Draco and Pansy Parkinson and all of these other Slytherins came to that first Gryffindor practice. Oh, that's right. And they were should not have been there. allowed. Yeah. Okay. So they saw that their taunts had an effect and then immediately were emboldened to do more of it. But here's my question, though. Draco, right? Draco sucks at Quidditch. He is not good at all. <laughs> Yet he is piling on Ron, who's in his first game, by the way, right? This is the first time he's playing. How many years has Draco been playing? How many snitches has he caught? He just <laughs> shadows Harry. He just shadows him. Yeah. He's a terrible Quidditch player. Like, throw some shit back in his face. But he's got confidence. Is that bullying, Micah, or is that just poor Well, that's that's going to be my next question, though, is like, if this was reversed, if somebody on Slytherin was being treated this way, how would we feel? We'd be okay with it. <sighs> we yeah. probably would be, but that's okay. We can be biased. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not okay to insult someone's class and uh, blood status and... There are just things you can't do, but you got to kind of admire the brilliance or the harmony of it all. 
in what Draco has accomplished in this chapter. Now, what happens after the match aside, the actual coordination of an entire, I want to say Slytherin army, but you know, the all the Slytherins coming together, singing the song perfectly, achieving the desired result, it's so insidious, but it strikes me as being something that would in the real world happen at a sporting event. Agree. Yeah, I, even forget like high school sports, middle school sports. Is it this extreme? Probably not, but I'm no. sure if you were to go, you would see signs, you would see parents yelling things. I don't know if there's a coordinated song against one of the opposing team players, but I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> well, like the pep band is like meant to do the opposite, right? It's meant to pep people up and be excited for sports. This is like just and drown the, out the taunts. Maybe. Yeah, what the Slytherins are doing is like an anti-pep band, basically. So moving on just a little bit, here are the actual lyrics of the Slytherin song, which I think it's clever how J.K. Rowling writes it because there'll be like two paragraphs of whatever Harry's doing, whatever's happening at Quidditch, and then there'll be like two lines of the song in between the thing. It's real cool. But it's uh, Weasley cannot save a thing. He cannot block a single ring. That's why Slytherins all sing. Weasley is our king. Weasley was born in a bin. He always lets the quaffle in. Weasley will make sure we win. Weasley is our king. Now, if you take out the Weasley was born in a bin, how bad is that song? It's a lot more it's in- innocuous. But still, I just don't like this idea of students taunting other students together. Maybe if it was just Draco or maybe him and a couple of others. But the way it's written, it sounds like half the stadium is singing this thing. I mean, have y'all ever seen like... Uh, a football match out of the UK. Yeah. This kind of thing is super common. Really? In those Do you mean like, like a... soccer or yes. football, football, American football? Okay. Yeah. No, no, soccer. No. Got soccer. It. Soccer to the Americans, football to everyone else. <laughs> Got it. Um, <laughs> it, It's not uncommon for the, you know, for the fans of a team to come up with a song and sort of, goad the other team with it Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't be surprised if this was also common in quidditch and if these students were just mirroring the behavior that they see in professional athletics that's true but i still think the teachers should have stepped in they know this is harmful to ron oh i agree we could have a whole bonus muggle cast Probably more than one bonus muggle cast about all of the things that happen at Hogwarts that are just like very questionable and wrong. Yeah, it's an emotional nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) I I like this idea of taking out that one sentence, Mike. Like, I don't know what you'd replace it with. Like, Harry, uh, Ron has no. Who is going to take out that sentence and replace it? They're trying to hurt them. But that's that is the offending sentence though. That's the that's the offending line, yes. Mike. Yeah. But this is what happened. Other than that, you just get you just get kind of a, a cool, twisted, like it subverts expectations. When Harry first sees the badge, Weasley is our king, he's like, What is this nonsense? Like oh no, what are they gonna do now? Because you wouldn't normally see your enemy playing like or pledging, like, hail the king, hail the king, Weasley's our king. It's such a, an interesting backwards take on, but then when you get into the lyrics and listen to why, you're like, oh, they're saying it ironically. Yeah. So 
The match ends. Harry at least is able to save uh, uh, Gryffindor as a whole, or so he thinks for now, um, by catching the snitch basically out of out of Draco's fingers. They're both diving for it. And that's the other thing about Draco being like a bad Quidditch player, like you were saying. Like he's always just it's always just neck and neck with Harry, and he usually is being reactive where Harry is proactive. Mm-hmm. Right. Harry is looking for the snitch. Draco is just looking at Harry. Yeah. That that I mean, if you're still looking to write that fanfic, <laughs> maybe there's something there, Eric. Um, but 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 before we go into the fight, just very quickly, couldn't they have given Ron something to block out the sound? Like Ron doesn't need his ears to be able to play Quidditch. He just needs to see what's going on. I think you do. And and if let's pretend that he actually gets to mute everything that's happening around him. He's going to want to know what's happening around him. He's going to want to hear because he's going to be worried that it's going to get worse or something. That would just be a distraction. And who wants to be deaf during a match like this when you're playing? Yeah, I think it's the perfect solution was either to mute Ron or cover Ron's ears or um, we just learned the silencio charm. Like, Well, why didn't why didn't or Hermione could have done what she did in what book one and go burn some cloaks and set the place on fire and then that would have stopped them from singing yeah just a little where was hermione during all this what's a little arson between enemies yeah yeah she's done it before it works you know what you got three houses against one here come up with something sing something anything it doesn't matter what it is you would drown out slytherin easily that's true that's true but it, it, it just speaks to the cleverness right how how sudden it is that nobody can um think of something to do or what to do in the moment. Harry's only recourse is to catch the snitch fast. And so he does, but crab shoots a bludger at him, hits him in the small of the back. If you guys like the small of the back is where all the nerves meet. And that hurts like a, you know, yeah, you've been injured. If you ever get hit yeah, there, have you been injured there, Micah? Yeah. I mean, I've also gotten kicked during karate, like right in the kidneys and Oof. you have to like gasp for air but yeah if you ever get hit in the small of the back you did karate i didn't know that Yeah, man watch out <laughs> watch i won't out. mess with you yeah <laughs> you I, I only belt? made it to like blue belt so you know you're fine <laughs> oh, okay man micah knows karate but it's actually we i don't think it's like a diversionary tactic but it works out perfectly because while madam hooch is over uh, disciplining Crab, or I don't know, slapping him on the wrist, whatever she does. That is when Draco's verbal attacks on Harry and Ron and the Weasleys as a whole really pick up. Yeah, and it w- it was sickening to watch because they won. The game is over. Let it go now. But Draco has to make his way over there and continue taunting them while they are celebrating. That's just disgusting. All he has is his words, right? And Alicia or Angelina even says, like, talk about sour grapes. Like, you're you're a poor sport. Yeah. Uh, by still going on about this. But it achieves uh, – you almost wonder if somebody put Malfoy up to this. Because in addition to being a bad uh, athlete here and a poor sport, he is goading Harry and Fred and George beyond – really the level of tolerance talking about the smell of their house where he's never set foot. Let's be clear, but the smell coming from the fact that Harry's mom was muggle born and the fact that the Weasleys are poor. These are things that no one could 
reasonably tolerate past a certain point. I don't think anyone put Draco up to it, but I think he may have been thinking that if I taunt them enough, they are going to react and then Umbridge is going to punish yeah. them somehow. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Because we know this fight gives Umbridge exactly what she's looking for. Yeah. Essentially. And that's why I wonder if she and Draco just had like a conversation or something. Like, hey, because it, it, we're just seeing Draco be more organized than I think, frankly, we ever see him in any of the books. Like, he takes a whole year to do the whole room of requirement thing next book. But this is still strikes me as, as being much more organized, mm-hmm. getting everyone to learn the lines and sing the song and then attack and then basically get attacked so that Harry can be have a lifetime ban. Like, that's that's how you one up your enemy, just with all this illegal, stupid crap. Right. It's goes past being a sore loser. It It's just unfortunate that there's nobody there to hear what draco is saying to fred and george and and harry it was interesting to me though that with the the comments made about molly and and arthur harry is able to keep his composure and he's able to hold back george but once something is said about harry's mother that's the moment when it shifts and he just loses it and uh, you can't blame him. I mean, you're you're talking about his family. I mean, the Weasleys are his family, but I just found it interesting that was the moment that like the switch flipped and he just goes com- completely bonkers on Draco. Well, it's kind of it's really crossing a line there because he's taunting Harry about his dead mother. You know. Yeah. It, yes, yeah. it's, it's it's just so beyond it, it's so far past the line, I think that we're meant to accept. But maybe Hogwarts just needs like a meditation course to like help people keep their emotions in check, because I don't know in the end that the, the, the penalty that Harry faces is worth it. I think he may he's not sad he hit Malfoy, mm. but I think he would have thought twice about it if he had known the end of the you know, what would happen very shortly after. But it was the buildup, though, I I, I think. It's Molly, it's Arthur, then it's, you know, the Weasley family as a whole, and then it's finally about Lily, and that's just the breaking point. Yeah. It, he can only take so much. He's 15, too. He is, he, yeah, he, that's a good point. He's also 15. It's just you can't imagine there's somebody as profane as Draco is who can exist and be allowed to taunt for this large extent, and it's so maddening that Hooch is um distracted by what crab did you know this whole time she only looks over when they're they physically fought and and harry punches draco you know we can't really advocate for physical violence here on this show um he does do it and hooch comes over and sends them to their heads of house why are there not more officials why is it just madam hooch officiating the like you know you think about it like other sporting events there's more than just one umpire or referee here it's just Madame Hooch, and yeah. she she's not paying attention to what's going on. And and what happens after Quidditch matches normally? Do you shake the other team's hand? Like, is there some sort of cordial interaction normally, like between the houses that actually respect each other? You would hope so, but this school sets them up to hate each other, so they don't do that. Yeah, and, and apparently all the teachers are watching. Like McGonagall did see what they did. Um, Snape probably did too, and Umbridge definitely did. Um, and Umbridge's punishment aside, which we'll talk about in a second, 
I just don't understand how Hooch and McGonagall can get so mad at Harry when there is this taunting happening across the Quidditch patch. There should have been some acceptance of Harry's attack in light of what was happening during that game. It's as if the the taunting wasn't happening at all. Well, that's it. They just don't care. Yeah, that's just it. You're getting like Draco's taunts would be erased. If you were to take it to Snape, Snape would be like, oh, I, I was right there. Draco didn't say anything. You did, you're just covering up mm. for and minimizing, minimizing the the heinous nature and extent of Draco's comments and, and saying, I think Umbridge even calls, um, uses the Gryffindors like short tempers against them, completely ignoring the fact that they were provoked. And it's just it's just when you have a bold group of people who are unwilling to see truth and have authority, you're in for a world of shit. Mm. It's it's just from what they're able to do. So let let's let's get to the the meeting. I, I think to 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 be fair, Andrew, to your question, the McGonagall, like why McGonagall's so angry at Harry? I think that's to do with what this attack opens the door of right so because she's right when umbridge comes in she's saying do you have any idea what you've and then she gets interrupted and i think what mcgonagall what makes mcgonagall upset is she knows that this fight will be the linchpin will be the breaking point to allow umbridge to do exactly what she does which is to ban half the quidditch team and also remember mcgonagall has been asking harry to keep his temper in this book and here he goes again, losing his temper. Yeah, it's kind of a thing with him. It's justified, but it goes against what McGonagall has been asking him to do multiple times now. Exactly. Mm. So, first of all, when Umbridge comes in and is introducing the... I mean, there's that little tension between her and McGonagall. And McGonagall's like, Thank- thankfully, my opinion matters more than yours. And Umbridge is like, um, actually, no, it doesn't. And brings out this educational degree. Umbridge cites the incident whereby she did not want... Gryffindor to be reinstated, period. After banning all teams, groups, societies, and clubs, uh, Umbridge was not willing to reinstate the Gryffindor Quidditch team as a whole. And although this was speculated about in the last chapter, this is confirmation that what happened was Umbridge said no, McGonagall didn't like that, uh, went to Dumbledore, who then insisted that Gryffindor be reinstated. Now, recall our conversation on previous episodes where we kind of all agreed or seemed to agree that that she has no standing to ban Gryffindors just for no reason. Not anymore. Right. This gives her the reason. This. And it, it, it mm-hmm. unfortunately, it justifies what she wanted to do initially. It just proves her point. <sighs> yeah. Regardless of, of what we know, right? Perception is reality. And- for anybody watching in the stands, it looked like Harry beat the crap out of Draco. <laughs> so, but mm-hmm. it's fake news, though. It is, but that's where you need more oversight, I think. And this is what's frustrating as a reader because you see McGonagall stripped of her power, essentially. But what about Dumbledore? Like, where is he? What? What? You know, he could step in here and make everything good. I think even with the decrees, because it's his school at the end of the day. But he's not there. He's not doing anything. Yeah. And even if he were there, I don't know that he could um, do much about this new law that that she's passed. So so Umbridge complained to Fudge. She went crying. She was like, 
I'm I have no more authority than a common teacher, which she's speaking to the deputy headmistress of Hogwarts, like Beesnatch, sit down. Uh, she's like, I would I would have no more authority than just a common teacher. So Fudge gives her complete impunity oversight to not only impose sanctions, but to adjust uh, other teachers punishments for students. It's it's the lowest of the low. Yeah. Educational decree 25 is the worst one yet. Now, if Umbridge was a rational professor, she would probably pose the question, why is it that three people who just won a Quidditch match would attack a, f- uh, a member of the opposing team? Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. They won. Mm-hmm. It's not like they lost. They won. Right. Why? Why Why do that? Oh, maybe because they were being antagonized. Yes, yeah, exactly. Draco didn't lift a finger. That's the difference. If we want to talk about Crab, that's a whole nother ballgame. But Draco didn't lift a finger. Yeah. And we know yeah. Crab gets like lines or something. Uh, it's, it's it's later said. Which is very hard for him. Like, <laughs> real. Oh, no. I mean, that's, that's, that's just as bad as being banned from the Quidditch team. <laughs> but the – And interestingly – she she calls this a lifetime ban, and I'm a little confused by this, because if you read the decree, it says the High Inquisitor will henceforth have supreme authority over all punishment, sanctions, and removal of privileges pertaining to the students of Hogwarts. So why does she say this is a lifetime ban? Does anyone here believe this is this could genuinely be a lifetime ban, assuming this all stayed in place? But what's going on here? Because I don't think it is a lifetime ban based on that based on the way this is written. It's a lifetime ban at Hogwarts, uh, I think. Yeah, that's but, what I interpreted. What do you mean, though? There's seven years at Hogwarts. That's not a lifetime. Harry's got two years late le- left. <laughs> yeah. I don't get why it's called a lifetime ban. I, and and Harry's effect. sweating over this, so that's why I bring it up. It's Yeah, it's 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 word choice. It, it's, it's saying for the duration that you're at this school, you will not play Quidditch. <laughs> but also, you could see that uh, running up against Harry in the future if he ever wanted to be a pro at Quidditch. He, the ministry, because Dolores has so much authority, there could be a barrier for Harry ever doing professional Quidditch as well. Not to mention, she's confiscated his broomstick. Oh, so yeah. he can't he can't even practice on his own if he wanted to. God, I hate right. that. Right. Well, he's got money. He can go <laughs> buy a new broom, maybe. <laughs> this this just means more time for Dumbledore's army. This is actually a gift from Umbridge. Thank you, Toad. Wow, I can see you already prepping your debate, uh, Stan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. seriously. Wow. wow. But, all right, I'll go back. I'll take a step back. I do think there is a bit of a racist moment on the part of Umbridge, though, with Fred, because she's looking to punish the counterpart to George, basically just because he looks like him, and guilt by association, like, I mean, what is that? Yeah, none of this would hold up under actual law in an actual court. Not if anybody competent or morally correct would be there to represent it. The fact is, because George actually attacked Draco, gave him like a bloody nose or something. But Fred, who was being held back, didn't actually do anything. You can't punish somebody for a crime they didn't do. And you're right, Mike. I think the way she says like- Well, you can. I mean- generally happens a lot and i don't know if that's a bit of the point that jk rowling is trying to make yeah fred just looked like he looked at him wrong looked like he would have done something looked like george well i mean 
To be fair, the only reason Fred didn't participate was because he was being held back by the three chasers. Yeah, but what does that say about the Gryffindor Quidditch team as a whole? That other Gryffindors... They're strong. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm saying the other Gryffindors knew the seriousness of it all and held him back, um, which means they're not all bad. Mm -hmm. So for Umbridge to have been, I guess, after the fact, justified in trying to ban Gryffindor Quidditch to begin with... That's false because at least half the Gryffindor team is really just able to ignore Draco and try and prevent this conflict. See, now I feel like I feel like you're prepping for the debate. Uh, well. <laughs> yeah, but it's not their family, though, Eric. It's not Alicia's family or Katie's family. It's the Weasleys. And so even if they keep their cool, that's one thing. But, you know, if, if, they, if, if it was about your family, how would you feel? You would want to get at Draco. Mm -hmm. Well, to that point, I have sort of a wish fulfillment alternate reality here, which we just did for bonus MuggleCast over on Patreon, the Umbridge backstory on Potter No More, Mm -hmm. um, wherein it is revealed that her father was a janitor uh, for the Ministry of Magic. And Umbridge, her mother was a muggle. Her brother's a squib. Uh, Her father was this janitor who she persuaded to retire early and later covered up her own father's like existence. If Harry had say in in my heart of hearts, I hope that Harry could know this information somehow. All he would need to have said is professor. I know we've had our disagreements, but Draco was saying that my mother's house smelled um, because she was muggle born that Ron's family smells because they're poor. Wasn't your father a lowly janitor at the Ministry of Magic. Like, how would you feel? Just just a little bit of empathy. How would you feel, Umbridge, if what Draco had said, he was saying it about your father? Well, A, she doesn't have empathy. And B, I think she would just continue to push back on the fact that Harry punched him. Yeah. That's a whole different level. Right. To Umbridge and, and, and the other teachers at Hogwarts. I mean, in fairness, McGonagall... Also, was, Umbridge doesn't like her father. Yeah. McGonagall, <laughs> McGonagall was pissed, too, at the punch. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think there's any remedying the situation and i I don't think it was just one like it mentions that he went and you know gave him a like socked him right in the stomach but Mm. after the fact i think it was very clear that he basically beat the living crap out of him yeah outside of just that one i don't think it's just one punch rolling says something along the lines of harry just like didn't even know what happened next i think he just his head was on fire so to speak and he just started attacking without thinking Mm. that's magic They'll heal it. <laughs> maybe maybe that was like the Horcrux in him. Ooh. Ooh. I love that. I really enjoy how McGonagall calls this muggle dueling. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because it's so savage looking, but you're just like, wizards are above that. You know? <laughs> She's probably lucky, though, that it was muggle dueling. Because if Harry pulled out his mm-hmm. wand, imagine what would have happened. It would have been nasty. The real victim here, the the real innocent victim here is the snitch, because Harry <laughs> caught it and he didn't let it go the entire time he was punching Draco. Brass knuckles is like what he used, basically. Yeah, basically. The sn- if they- snitch clutched in his hand. <sighs> Man. Should have shoved that down Draco's throat. Let the <laughs> snitch attack from the inside. <laughs> Fly around in Draco's stomach. <laughs> um, but speaking of McGonagall, I just wanted to throwing a bit of her backstory here. It got mentioned earlier in the discussion how she was all about not giving the Gryffindors homework. And there's a reason for that. Because McGonagall loves her some Quidditch. 
she was, like her mother, a gifted Quidditch player, although a nasty fall in her final year, a foul during the Gryffindor versus Slytherin game, uh-huh, uh, left her with a concussion, several broken ribs, and a lifelong desire to see Slytherin crushed on the Quidditch pitch. Though she gave up Quidditch upon leaving Hogwarts, the innately competitive McGonagall later took on a keen interest in the fortunes of her house team and retained a keen eye for Quidditch talent. So that's a cool little bit on McGonagall. Yeah, and I think McGonagall is also just very proud of her students winning the cup before, and she wants to continue feeling that pride with that trophy in her office. I think that's what she says to um, the team. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I think this is a great point that you bring up, Micah. And I also think that she's just really proud. But given her injuries, should she not have doubled down on the whole crab thing? Because... Oh, look, crab should be banned. Yeah. Like, there's this is the injustice part of it where there's clearly not equal punishment. I mean, they could have... Crab could have broken Harry's back with that shot. Like, the fact that he gets up and he's okay is is a miracle. Lucky. So as a final point to this chapter, I've kind of been, I don't know, just feeling this way. I've read this chapter twice to prepare our discussion, but I couldn't help but really feel some strong comparisons to the current American political situation. We have a U.S. president that has been impeached by the House, acquitted in the Senate, and really just sort of a, a an, an ignorance of the whole fact of the matter, right? The arguments being made to defend Draco or 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 I'll just say it like the, the GOP like are are sticking to their man in a way that is not wholly logical, just as what Draco did is being unpunished and really Umbridge or the GOP is getting her like what she wanted to begin with. I, 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 I drew a better comparison when I wrote it down, but the, the fact is like, I see a lot of comparison to just the, those in, those in power being loyalist and not necessarily doing the whole justice thing. Yeah. I, you know, I think that largely we can apply this to any uh, situation in which there is a lack of justice um, perpetrated by whatever the ruling faction or ruling power is. And I think that this is something that we can see historical instances of that we can compare to. Um, and I think we've all had personal cases like this, where maybe there was a little bit of extra context, like thinking about what Draco said to goad everybody on, um, and how that was missing from the equation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think that it's something that we've all definitely at least had like sort of secondhand experience with witnessing. Um, I think that you could even draw parallels to our criminal justice system where there is a, a supreme lack of justice when you look at the way that different groups of people tend to be punished differently based on committing the same crimes as perhaps another group of people that is more um, like socially elevated, if you will. Mm -hmm. It just seems like Draco's untouchable, that nothing he does, no matter how low he stoops, can possibly be punished by Umbridge, who has the real authority over everyone at Hogwarts now as of this decree. Oh, but he could be. It's just that they're not actually taking the steps to investigate and to 
appropriately punish him for antagonizing Harry and, and creating that whole situation in the first place. And you know, if you want to take Draco out of it completely, though, what about Crab? I mean, he should have been given the same punishment as Harry and, and George. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for it. And and that's where like what Laura was mentioning, the discrepancy, right? It's it's very, very clear that there should be equal punishment here for the actions that were taken, but there isn't. Harry gets it worse. And not only does Umbridge not prosecute Draco uh, or Crab, but we find out she actually promotes them to the high the inquisitorial squad later. Um so she's she's actively rewarding their completely unconscionable behavior totally uh and 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 that that speaks to her sinister nature but But harry is giving her every opportunity to do it by being naive no he attacked draco say what you want at the end of the day like he still physically assaulted another student it's got to be punished in some capacity now whether or not there's appropriate oversight by somebody like dumbledore like where again where is dumbledore like he's still in charge of the school don't leave it up to Umbridge to make the call. You make the call. You're the boss man. He's on an ignoring Harry kick. Where is he? In the room of requirement? <laughs> Does he know about that? Let's um, let's move on to our Umbridge suck count then. Well, and and to wrap up the chapter, uh, Hagrid's back. Oh. That's the little bright spot. <laughs> oh yeah, by the, the way, the chapter. Hagrid's back. Yay! <laughs> well, and and Ron is completely distraught. By the way, at the end of the chapter, I mean, the dude was like walking outside in the rain for while everything else was going on. I mean, he looks terrible. Yeah, and I'm I'm leaving the Quidditch team. It's all over. I can't take this anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. But Hagrid's back, and next chapter, it's a big old story from a big old half-giant. Um, I actually read ahead, and wow, he shares a lot, for sure. Huh. I actually listened to Hagrid's tale and this past chapter, uh, chapter 19, Jim Dale's version of the story, and it's a good one, actually, to listen to because he sings... The song, Weasley is our king. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of entertaining. Yeah. So the Umbridge suck counts. It previously stood at 35. We have a few here. This chapter, obviously, she's pretty prominent in this chapter. Uh, One for not taking no for an answer about teachers overruling her. So she has to come in with this educational decree. (laughs) There was uh, the lifetime ban on Harry and George. I mean, that's... That's extremely rough. And I still don't understand why it's a lifetime ban, but okay. What else? Well, I definitely wrote writing to Fudge, you know, convincing him that 25 needs to exist. Because here's here's something. It's a little bit short-sighted of Umbridge to need this, to realize that this is now going to be uh, like school law. This is, this is going to be, this is going to forever change it's like changing the constitution. You're going to forever change how these things are interpreted all because you have a problem, a student that you individually want to punish. You're going to create mm-hmm. an entire constitutional law to punish one person you don't like. Uh, banning Fred for not doing anything. Micah brought up that point. was not pleased. Yep. Yep. So that's four. And the final one is at the end of her discussion... She says to McGonagall something like, you'll be happy and, 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 but don't worry, I'm not unreasonable. The remaining Quidditch members can still play. The remaining Gryffindor Quidditch. Who didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so now we wanted to have a little debate about Umbridge's whole punishment, right, Micah? Yeah, we we used to debate way back in the day, hosted by our our co-host Ben. He used to lead these uh, these segments, but I thought, why not? This is a great opportunity to debate Umbridge's punishment for Harry and for George specifically. So the way that we're going to do it is, Andrew, you and I will present the argument that Umbridge was fully justified in her punishment. Mm -hmm. Laura and Eric, you will argue that she overstepped her authority and has no basis for handing down uh, this type of punishment. And I thought to make it fun – Patrons who are listening live, you can decide the winner. You make the call. So as good or not good as our arguments are, it's all up to you. You make it. Um, I, I think we can do a little bit of rebuttal back and forth maybe, but we'll start by presenting our arguments and then take it from there. Sure. How does that sound? I, I can start on behalf of Micah and myself. And um, Micah, feel free to come in after I present yeah, my my Sounds correct good. stances. So first of all, words are just words. They come and go, but a punch to the gut can last forever. By punching Draco, Harry, he risked permanent damage to another Hogwarts student. That's not right. And J.K. Rowling has taught us that violence is not the answer. Harry is ignoring that lesson by being vicious to Draco. And by letting Harry go for this attack, J.K. Rowling would be teaching us that it is okay to physically harm another student over their use of words. And that would have been wrong as well. And I acknowledge that the comments Draco and the the song by Draco were bad, but it doesn't mean you get a free pass to punch somebody. And Harry has been told repeatedly throughout this book to control his temper, as I brought up earlier, but he has continued to ignore that warning. So he deserves this punishment from Umbridge. And maybe now he will learn. Right. Yeah, Andrew, I really could not agree more with you. I think (laughs) you brought up the fact that Harry physically assaults Draco. He doesn't – he can't – you know, come on, Harry. Come up with some words to throw back in his face. Like the fact that he goes after him, he uses the the snitch in his hand like brass knuckles pummeling this poor child in the stomach and other parts of his body. He's using the snitch as a weapon. And this is just a bad example for all the other students that are in attendance. Think of all the young students that are watching this unfold. Ugh. And he he clearly knew better because he initially restrains George, right? He's holding him back. So he knows what's right and what's wrong, but yet he goes ahead and does it anyway. And Umbridge is in the right here because it just shows Dumbledore lacks control. We talk about it all the time. It's, Hogwarts is a security nightmare. Security Dumbledore nightmare. lacks control. You got kids fighting each other on the Quidditch pitch, what's supposed to be a you know a nice sporting event. I mean, Dumbledore, put some more officials down there. And Quidditch is a privilege, by the way. Okay, you're representing your house. Is this what Gryffindor stands for? Mm-hmm. So clearly, Umbridge was correct in her initial stance of not wanting to reform Gryffindor because look at what happens. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, you took that a step further even. Yeah. All right, well- uh, Eric and I can go ahead and deliver our opening statements and then we can do some back and forth. I just wanted to say first, um, Andrew and Micah, I really appreciated some Aww. of the points that you brought up during the show. I think that they, you know, bolster the argument that really this was an example of Umbridge overstepping her authority. No, you um, missed really her. Because, <laughs> oh, I see. I mean, let, I, you have to I, let her I speak. Pretty, I'm sorry. Let, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I was pretty sure that I heard allusions to the idea of Umbridge really using this new educational decree in order to further her politi- her personal political agenda at the school to target one particular student. Um, anytime that you're applying a set of rules or even a set of laws, they can't just be for one person. That's not effective. Um Furthermore, this is a clear example of prejudice on the part of Umbridge, again, part of her own personal agenda to make sure that the ministry remains on a pedestal and that nobody at Hogwarts um, dares to sort of see themselves as, you know, equals to the ministry. The other thing that I would say here is that if the concern is violence, then where was all of this punishment in Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 15, when the Slytherin team was incredibly violent towards the Gryffindor team, we'll provide examples later when we do Connecting the Threads, but we're talking about Slytherins hitting Gryffindor players with their clubs. We're talking about them grabbing Gryffindor players by the head and knocking them off their broom. It's brutal. And it just goes to show that uh, Hogwarts does not know how to deal with Interstudent conflicts very well. So rather than saying, okay, five years into one student's career, we're going to drop the hammer in the most uh, severe way possible in order to counter this issue, what Hogwarts needs to do is they need to burn their whole punishment system to the ground and rebuild it. Because again, trying to apply a very severe consequence that only applies to one group of particular students is not an effective way to see behavioral changes amongst your uh, student population. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Eric. Umbridge's glee at delivering the news confirms her personal bias on this matter. She is trying to meddle in a, with a lifetime ban, meddling in something that should only affect these guys for the remainder of their Hogwarts years, one year or two years. Instilling a lifetime ban is a blatant overreach uh, of power. It shows really tips Umbridge's hand at what her end game is, which is ministry dominance, as Laura so eloquently pointed out, and the lack of punishment for Crab, the lack of suitable or similar punishment for someone who very if if, if we're gonna play up the injuries to Draco and say, oh, he could have permanently damaged this kid, uh a, a, you know, a bludger to the small of the back that Harry felt, uh, I would argue is is as serious, if not more so based solely on human beings' weak spots and the location of the blows. Um, This is a school with magic, so I don't think that ultimately either Harry or Draco have permanent damage, not like the writing that Umbridge herself makes Harry do on his hand. Umbridge's uh, concern for the well-being of Draco's physical state or her punishment or punishing Harry and George for harming Draco is so hypocritical given her own past use of punishment and corporal law on Harry and his injuries, scars that we know he carries for 20 years in advance. So there's nothing behind umbrage except this blatant overuse of the law, uh, incredible hypocrisy, and frankly, it's just simply um, bias on the part of umbrage, and mm-hmm. she is overstepping 
her authority. She's not overstepping her authority. I mean, she's the senior undersecretary to the minister. She's the high inquisitor of Hogwarts. She has the full authority. Well, she had to she go and get that. She has the authority of the – no, she's, she's already the high inquisitor. She has the authority of the ministry. And, and you know, if we're going to talk about Prisoner of Azkaban, right, and all the fighting that went on, that's just – further proof that you need somebody like Umbridge exactly it's it's a security nightmare Hogwarts I would agree with you if she was applying the punishment equally across all uh guilty parties but she's not Mm -hmm. no that's a fair point I I think you know we can talk about crab but you know we're that this particular argument is focused on Harry and George. I I don't disagree with you. I think Crab should have received the same punishment. But what but then it, then Umbridge wasn't fully justified in her punishment of Harry and George if she didn't also No, she was. No, no but she wasn't physical. if she didn't also apply it to Crab. That's what we're arguing, right? But we're not talking about yeah, We're just about saying Crabbe. was Harry's punishment about Harry and justified and, and yes it was. Well, you can't I mean, she, Well, and and we're also talking about I I think when we're talking about whether or not she had the authority to do this, I think her intention really counts. And again, as we've already established, her intention here is not actually to do the right thing. If Umbridge was somebody who cared about doing the right thing, she wouldn't be forcing students to slice open the backs of their hands during detention. She wouldn't be denying the fact that Voldemort has returned in order to prop herself up with the Minister of Magic, right? So we can take that off the table. Umbridge doesn't care about doing the right thing. She cares yeah. about doing the right thing for her personal political mm-hmm. agenda, and that's and what And she this sent is. the Dementors to Little Winching, and that was outside the law. She is a woman who is clearly willing to break the law in order to achieve her political ends. The, the, the fact, what I was saying well, about her- we can her, talk about putting her on trial for things too, but that's not what this debate is but, about. But, the, it's but about it is because we're talking about- Harry. Her, Harry acted in a way that was completely inappropriate in front of hundreds, if not thousands of other students. He's supposed to be a role model. He's supposed to be a fifth year at this point. That's no way for him to behave. Yeah. And he, honestly, his track record, you know, if we want to talk about outside of this argument, his track record does not speak well for him in terms of defying authority. So you know what? He gets what he deserves. Yeah, here. Micah, Laura, and Eric have to keep digging elsewhere because they have no argument. I mean, they're they're just desperate. <laughs> Bolstering our argument no. about Umbridge as a person. No, this is really yes. desperate. <laughs> I just she had to seek more authority from the minister himself because she just didn't have it to begin with. And he's enabling her to punish and exclude individual people over others because he's a bad guy. He's a bad minister. Like. Again, we uh, could debate. I mean, we have we have to point out that she actually didn't have the authority to do this until she convinced Fudge that she needed educational decree number. That's 25. what I'm saying. So she she did that exactly because McGonagall and Dumbledore stopped her from being prejudiced against the Gryffindor team before anyone on the Gryffindor team had even done anything worth punishing. She's inventing new laws. Because the old laws didn't let her personally punish somebody illegally. It's an open and shut case, frankly. Oh, oh so students should just go around punching each yeah, other. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Without in, any in, punishment. Go ahead. Punch in away. Mind, you hear that, listeners? Younger listeners? Go yeah. and punch some people. Repair <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So nobody, nobody here is saying that there shouldn't be a punishment for participating in that kind of behavior. Right. But what we're saying is that the punishment that is given here is rooted in Umbridge's prejudice towards the Gryffindor team. Yep. Oh, and, and 
if, if she it, didn't have I mean, any look, prejudice justified if she didn't have any prejudice you don't think she still would have thought that harry deserved to be punished this this woman is so smart that she had the foresight to see <laughs> that reforming the gryffindor quidditch team was a problem it's an excellent right. point yep she saw this coming it's only a problem because slytherins decide to make it a problem all right, let's wrap it up. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Obviously, Mike and I had an uphill battle there. across the board. <laughs> and the listeners agree that Laura and Eric won the debate. So good job, you oh, two. Oh, thank you. I, You know what? I was kind of disappointed because I like arguing from the hard side of a debate. <laughs> yeah, time. well, you can. You can yeah. I will take it next time. I was so scared that people would give it to you guys, actually. <laughs> well, we did have some great points. You had some um, great, yeah. You had some. Well, you just by by saying that we were reaching and and going elsewhere for <laughs> examples. I'm was, just teasing you guys. Uh, <laughs> okay, I could, uh, Eric. I could feel you. I could feel your like tension yeah, Eric rising. Was, yeah. Eric's blood was boiling. I was starting to panic. Honestly, <laughs> it's gonna be a fun one to edit. It just goes to show you you can spin anything. <laughs> you really, really can. Well. Uh, speaking of this whole Gryffindor versus Slytherin uh, conflict in Quidditch, there were a lot of threads that we could connect between Chapter 19 of Order of the Phoenix and then Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 15, wherein Gryffindor and Slytherin are playing in their Quidditch final to determine who wins the Quidditch Cup that year. Um, so we can start with the theme of cheating. So in Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 15, Harry notes that he couldn't walk to class without Slytherin sticking out their legs and trying to trip him up, that Crabbe and Goyle kept popping up wherever he went and slouching away looking disappointed when they saw him surrounded by people. Then we see this contrasted in Order of the Phoenix Chapter 19, where it says Ron had never endured a relentless campaign of insults, jeers, and intimidation when Slytherins, considerably larger than he was, muttered as they passed in the corridors, got your bed booked in the hospital wing, Weasley. He did not laugh, but turned a delicate shade of green. So we see here this early bullying, early intimidation of the Gryffindor team on the part of Slytherins who are trying to throw them off their game. He should have been like, yeah, I do, right next to yours. <laughs> My bed is booked. Come join me. Yeah. I don't know. But as we can see, Ron's not really like quick with the retorts like Harry is. Yeah. So we also see in Prisoner of Azkaban in Chapter 15 that Angelina was nearly thrown from her broom as Marcus Flint went smashing into her. Um, and immediately after this point in Prisoner of Azkaban, the Gryffindors all start booing because it's clearly intentional. And Marcus Flint starts going, oh, sorry, I didn't see her. <laughs> sorry, sorry. This is also a chapter in which Madame Hooch gives so many penalty shots to the Gryffindor team because of the amount of violence that's coming from the Slytherin team. Madam Hooch needs to, and uh, she needs like a counterpart. She needs like a second or third official, really. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Then we also see in chapter 15 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Tiggyu had swerved in front of Katie and instead of seizing the quaffle, had grabbed her head. He also tried to make it seem like this was an accident. Mm. And really, what I thought was very interesting here was that um, the Slytherins really shy away from the physical violence in this chapter of Order of the Phoenix in chapter 19, I think, because they learned their lesson the last time they did this and realized 
all they're earning themselves is a bunch of penalty shots from the Gryffindors. Mm. So really, they're like, hey, Hogwarts doesn't really know how to deal with like emotional bullying. So let's go ahead and do that this chapter. And it's really effective. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Then I thought there was a really interesting little thread that we could connect in terms of etiquette. So in Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 15, it says, Flint and Wood approached each other and grasped each other's hands very tightly. It looked as though each was trying to break the other's fingers. Then in Order of the Phoenix Chapter 19, it says, Harry could tell that Montague was trying to crush Angelina's fingers, though she did not wince. Nice. Um, There are so many great moments in these chapters that use almost the same exact descriptors. It's crazy. Did you like do a Google search for fingers in Prisoner of Azkaban to find to try and find some matches? No, I just read the chapter. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime we do this, I actually, yeah, I actually go back through Prisoner of Azkaban and reread chapters that I think correspond. Nice. I love it. And then there's a really similar situation with where the snitch is spotted. So in Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 19, we'll all remember that Harry saw the golden snitch hovering feet from the ground at the Slytherin end of the pitch. In Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 15, Harry saw it shimmering at the foot of one of the Gryffindor goalposts. Mm. So we see a little bit of a flip in terms of which goalpost it's by, but in both chapters, it's in a very similar location. And then Harry and Drago's subsequent dive to race for the snitch is also written very similarly. Mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling's just copy and pasting her Gryffindor (laughs) Quidditch (laughs) matches. There's also a, it's almost very reminiscent, at least after Harry catches the snitch of like the fact that he forgets that it's in his hand until much later on in the chapter. It's like, I don't know, like it reminded me a bit of James too. And like, isn't he like playing with the snitch during a chapter of Prisoner of Azkaban? Like, don't we get like a Hmm. mention of that? Or am I thinking about something later on when Harry is doing Occlumency? I don't know. It's just, it was very James to me. Yeah. No, I mean, Harry definitely brings the snitch back to the Gryffindor common room, and it is sort of fluttering around in Chapter 15 of Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm. Or rather, sorry, Chapter 19 of Order of the Phoenix. I flipped those. Um, And then finally, Hagrid actually gets a shout out at the end of each of these Quidditch chapters. So, yeah. So at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 15, when the Gryffindors win the House Cup, Hagrid is not mentioned at all in this chapter, but all of a sudden he's one of the people flooding on to the pitch to be like, you did it, Harry. Um, (laughs) And then at the end of chapter 19 of Order of the Phoenix, we, of course, get that wonderful moment where Hermione observes that Hagrid is back Mm -hmm. after a long absence. He's back. He's back. (laughs) All right. Time now for MVP of the week. Oh, yeah. Uh, Much shorter. No time to get everybody all excited. Um, I'm going to give mine to McGonagall for standing up to the toad. Nice. I'm giving mine to Luna for that hat. (laughs) You know the one. Giving it to Hagrid for being back. (laughs) What? Well, I mean, it's the only good thing that happened in this chapter. Thanks, Hagrid, for being back. I'm giving mine to Harry for protecting Ron's dignity. He keeps him from seeing those Weasley as our king badges, and he also rushes to catch the snitch so that Ron's missed goals don't cost Gryffindor the match. Nice. All right. And now let's rename the chapter Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 19. Weasley gets mad stinged. (laughs) I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 19. Toad on top. 
Toad on Top by Beyonce. Toad on Top. <laughs> I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 19, Quidditch Bit. <laughs> It's a play on Quidditch pitch. You get it? Oh. Um, um, Yeah. um, Bridge is it. Yeah. All right. And I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 19, Yo Mama. Yeah. J.K. Rowling really ahead of her time with the Yo Mama joke. (laughs) Maybe she started that whole thing. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, send it on in, mugglecast at gmail.com, or send a voice memo to that same email address. Just try to keep your message about a minute long and record it in a... Record in a quiet place, please. We also have the contact form on MuggleCast.com where you can write to us. We love getting feedback from everybody, so thank you so much for sending it in. So just really quickly, what what would be the Draco version of this? What is it like, <laughs> Yo Mama So Muggle? Like what? Yeah. Yeah, that'd I mean, be a good one. It sounds like it would be like, Yo Mama So Muggle or Yo Mama So Poor. <laughs> <laughs> Yo Mama So Muggle, she... Sweeps herself. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Your mama's so muggle. She cooks. Oh, I don't know if those work as well. We'll have to work on those. Time for quizage. Last week's question: What does Hermione use to bewitch the golden coins for the DA members? The answer, of course, being the protean charm. Winners include Anne Smith, Reese without a spoon, Samwise, Potter, Skywalker, Caleb McReynolds, Sarah, aka Weensy. Krista, Tara, Marie, Brianna, Pronvi, Issy, Robbie, Patches, Hallow, Stacy, Deborah, Alex, Dispatches from Elsewhere is an ad, Cat's Pajamas, Julian S. and Jason King. We're back, baby. People, more people are participating in Quizich than nice. ever before. Really happy. It's the music. It. It's the music. Yeah, I think so too. Next week's question Where did Hagrid have a disagreement with a vampire? Mm hmm. This comes from the next chapter, Hagrid's Tale. Submit your answer to us over on Twitter, at MuggleCast, hashtag Quizich. I want to know more about the vampires in the wizarding world. Me too. Maybe we can talk about that more next week. Mm. Before we wrap up today's episode, just want to say thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support. And if you're not already a patron, we would love if you supported us. It is because of our Patreon that we are a weekly podcast. And to thank you for supporting us. We give you lots of benefits back. One of the coolest benefits, I think, is that you can tune into our live streams. Each week as we record, you can tune in and hear every single moment as it is recorded. You'll hear some stuff that probably won't make the final version of the show. And speaking of that final version, you do get it early as a patron. We tend to release it uh, sometime Monday as soon as we get the show finished, and then everybody else gets it on Tuesday. And then, of course, every year we send out a new physical gift to everybody who is pledged at the Dumbledore's Army level or higher. And this year's gift will be announced in the weeks ahead. So stay tuned for that. Again, patreon.com slash mugglecast. Oh, and here's a fun new benefit. We now record a personalized video thank you message for you after you pledge. So within a few days after you pledge, you will be getting a message from one of us. And it's been so fun to do that. It's been a really cool way to connect to each listener individually. Also, please do follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And with that, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. And I'm Laura. See ya. Bye. Bye, everybody. 